Welcome to MCS Pentecast, Pentecostal podcast about theology and life in the Spirit, featuring both scholars and practitioners. MCS Pentecasts are produced by Masters College and Seminary in Ontario, Canada. I'm Van Johnson, Dean of Masters Pentecostal Seminary. This is Peter Newman, Assistant Academic Dean of Masters Pentecostal College. This podcast is an interview with Eldon Wright, Director of the Youth Ministries Program at Masters College and Seminary, conducted on May 16, 2013, at the campus in Peterborough, Ontario. The topic, Strategies for Intergenerational Ministry. I'm here today with Eldon Wright. He's the Program Director of Youth Ministries at Masters College and Seminary, and also the Director of Global 180, which is a charity involved in uh, ministry to youth in junior high. And uh, today our topic is going to be on strategies for intergenerational ministry. And the reason that we decided to to take this on as a topic, we're just going to sort of do an interview here with Eldon. The reason we wanted to take this on as a topic has to do with the realities of young adults in our churches in Canada today and also in society in general. And so uh, I guess the first question is, uh, Eldon, if you could let us know, what are the realities with young adults in our society today? Well, I think that one of the biggest uh, issues we're facing in the church specifically with young adults is um, what can be perceived as their disinterest in church when they reach the young adult age or possibly a disconnect relationally with adults in the church. Um, and so we see all these studies being produced recently, uh, such as in, such as hemorrhaging faith that was uh, advertised in, in uh, Faith Today magazine in this last year, um, kind of sending us warning signs and warning signals and ringing the alarm bells about the fact that uh, anywhere between whatever 60 to 85 percent of our youth will not remain in the church once they become young adults. And uh, that kind of seems to meet with uh, different responses depending on how we um, how our churches are going, I guess, and how much involvement there is of youth and young adults in our church. Um, but I find the tendency is that we tend to either um, take it seriously or we tend to think, well, maybe that's not as serious in my church. But it is a nationwide uh, concern uh, across the board through all churches, uh, and that's why there has been this recent study produced uh, called Hemorrhaging Faith, which I encourage every pastor, ministry, leader to get a hold of to read um, because it not only gives us statistics, Canadian statistics, but also gives us possible solutions. Could you tell us a little bit more about that hemorrhaging faith study, just what it looked at, so as to why you think that's an important thing for us to uh, to look at, just in general? I mean, it has tons of detail in it, but um, just what you thought is, is uh, maybe important there for, for us. Well, essentially, um, through various uh, survey questions, and I think the survey is done over a two-year period, uh, they were trying to find out what what the young adults really think about church today, and 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 where how are they processing not just church life but also their personal faith, and they basically divided um, young adults based on the survey into four different categories. I'll just quickly tell you what those are. Sure. Four different spiritual types. There's the engagers, um, those who identify themselves with Christianity. Um, then there's also the fence sitters who um, have a uh, tend to have a religious affili- affiliation but don't experience buy-in, so they're not necessarily committed. Uh, you may find a lot of those young adults uh, maybe going from church to church, uh, looking for what kind of scratches their itch maybe. Then you have the wanderers and those who um, 
were involved with church as children, but maybe now as independent adults, they're not necessarily engaged in church life the way they once were, or in their faith for that matter. And then there's the rejectors. There's 15% who at one time did call themselves committed Christians and were involved in church life, but have now actually rejected the faith and have walked away from it. And so I think that uh, you know this, the survey obviously looks at all kinds of different um, different uh, areas and uh, um, and comes up with uh, the things that really are important to, to young adults. And what are those things in the life of a young adult that causes them to stay connected to church and stay connected to faith? And um, so just a couple of those things uh, sure. that uh, that they found is uh, number one. Well, I'm not gonna, uh, they're not really listed in order, but. Um, Primarily, it's it's teenagers who have had in their teenage years, in their those uh, those formative formative years, uh, youth who have had significant influence by adults in their life. A uh, study by Mark DeVries in the United States actually says that youth and young adults who stay in the church today, when they're surveyed, almost across the board, all of them have been listed. They've had at least six meaningful adult mentors in their life through their uh, formative years. Um, another thing that the hemorrhaging faith study found is that those youth who actually had some type of experiential encounter with God that they looked back on and couldn't deny the fact that God has done something in their life was a meaningful factor and, and seemed to propel them through those trouble, troublesome times, the teenage years, but also through the questions of, of uh, whether or not they should stay connected to God and to the church in their young adult years. Um, and so, I mean, the study shows all kinds of different things, but for me, primarily, my biggest concern is this lack of connection um, to the adult world okay. um, in the teenage years. So, all right, so we've got a significant percentage of young adults leaving our churches. Uh, the hemorrhaging faith study has helped us sort of categorize. Um, they're not all the same. There's not all the same reasons. Some are more connected than others or maybe just disconnected, so there's some hope there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've mentioned a couple of reasons uh, what might help keep young adults um, with us. Uh, so that that's the a little bit of the realities of young adults in our churches, in our societies. Uh, the next big question is, why has this happened? Like, what, Why have so many young adults become disconnected from our churches? Um, is it societal? Is it something our churches are doing or not doing? Could you expand on that? Well, generally in society today, there's, there seems to be this um, disconnect between uh, particularly teenagers and the adult world. Um, a, a very, a very uh, interesting book written by Chap Clark in the last couple of years. Uh, he's from the Fuller Institute, uh, Youth Ministry Institute. He's written two versions of the book, Hurt and then Hurt uh, 2.0. And he wrote this 2.0 within three years of writing the first book because he said so many changes have taken place in youth culture that he had to write a, a rewrite. Um, but he basically identifies the fact that teenagers today have created an underground subculture because there's no there's a lack of trust and a lack of meaningful connection with adults in their lives, right from teachers to coaches to their very own parents. That they've actually created a survival survival network of relationships and ethics and moral codes that they live by, uh, kind of underground. It's not something that we as adults could even tap into or even become necessarily aware of because they're kind of an underground type of society almost in okay. teenagers, just in, just in order to survive. Uh, and so I think that uh, in many ways, the adult world, and including adults in churches, we have so many issues of our own. Okay. We've tended to disconnect with, and with our children, and we don't actually have the emotional and sometimes the spiritual capability of dealing with our own children's issues because we're so 
wrapped up in our own. So you think about a typical family in Canada today who's got financial pressures and maybe marital issues and um, various various uh, uh, struggles or frustrations in their lives. All the all the mental and emotional energy they pour in to try to solve their own issues. What have they got left to actually do right. with their teenagers? So where are the teenagers actually getting help in those areas of their lives? They aren't. They get it from their from their friends. That's okay. really the only source of help. And we know that that's not necessarily going to be a uh, a profitable. All right. So one major factor is in just what's going on in our homes, the pressures on parents, all the other mm-hmm. things we have to do. Where is the source of strength, of friendship, of societal support, all the emotional support? That's not coming from the homes as much. Okay. I find in the church we've almost kind of duplicated that. We've become so focused on segregation in our church. We have a children's ministry that happens in the basement of the church or upstairs. We have a youth ministry that happens on a different night of the week. And then we kind of geared our Sunday morning service now to the adults part of the church and there's so much segregation that all we're doing is actually precipitating what's happening in society Uh, and so one of my beliefs is that if we're going to um, engage with youth effectively and actually counteract some of these issues we're going to have to be more intentional at making sure we eliminate that segregation and bring teenagers and youth especially teenagers and youth closely together I'm talking about teenagers today I don't think it's a youth ministry issue I think it's a church-wide issue okay but because youth are leaving in those or people are leaving the church at such great numbers in those youth young adult ages that's the stage we need to kind of be most closely focused on okay um, so yeah I think the church is duplicating what's happening in society in many ways so this this is what you're bringing up is important because it's the reason actually we use the word intergenerational in the, in the title of this podcast because what you're you're doing here is not talking about youth ministry strategies, you're talking about what senior pastors, youth pastors, children's pastors, parents, everyone, the board and church, everyone needs to know about this. How do we uh, create a church that is actually ministers to all generations together? Um, so when I youth pastored, it was it was separate. I mean, Sundays were together, uh, but there's churches doing youth ministry separate on Sunday, separate every other day of the week. And so um, that you're saying that's not part of the solution it's actually exacerbating part of the the problems. Yeah, we've actually become really good at doing youth ministry. It's become a profession in, in North America. It's become a very uh, finely tuned uh, area of the church. Um, and so you have youth pastors that go into careers in youth ministry, and they actually create a better church experience for youth than adult church, per se. Uh, so what would make a teenager who's gone through six or seven years of youth ministry to want to actually engage with a church they're not familiar with or have no relational connection. Okay. Uh, and so we've actually created a problem in the church. And I was a youth pastor for, for 22 years, and uh, I, was, I would probably have what you'd call a very successful, effective ministry in terms of engaging youth. Uh, however, now when I look back and I see these studies, I realize, wow, I was just as much as part of this problem by creating effective youth ministry because I would have youth graduate from high school going to young adults, but they weren't happy with church on Sunday. So what we we do, we started another youth, or sorry, a young adult worship experience. Right. So they continue to meet as peers to worship God, but there's still not that intergenerational connection. Okay. So a couple of questions come to my mind. If, uh, uh, pastors might be wondering, all right, so what are you, what are you asking us to do here? Um, you know, totally integrative. What, what about what about a couple of things? Are we just supposed to cater to youth? Is that what you're asking us to do? Um or what, what about different uh, learning stages in life? We don't throw the toddlers into the adult service. Like, so help us out here. What is it that you think would be a solution? Because what, what we've heard so far is, look, we have a we have really a crisis, hemorrhaging faith, mm-hmm. right? Where uh, 
we have need for emergency here. How do we stop the, the bleeding, so to speak? How do we stop this, this exodus of young adults from our churches? We've perhaps only made this problem worse or helped it along. We certainly haven't stopped it. And yet those, those questions that would go in my mind, um, what do we do? We, we want to be relevant to each age group. How do we do that and still maintain an intergenerational approach? Well, I have a lot of ideas that I think can uh, help us lead to some, some solutions to this, but I'll just highlight a few things I think are important. Uh, number one, I think, to respond to your question, is I think we have to do everything in balance. Yes, there's always a need for youth to, to be uh, taught on their own, to maybe have even worship, worship experience on their own with their style of music, whatever, that's okay. But is it in balance or is it out of balance with the rest of the intergen- intergenerational aspect of church life? Uh, second thing um, that I would highlight is um, I always ask my question, ask the question, why do we send the youngest, most immature, inexperienced people to influence and lead and pastor the most vulnerable, impressionable, and troubled demographic in society and the church? Why are we always after thinking that thinking that if we're going to hire a youth pastor, we need to find a vibrant 21-year-old who's going to be able to engage and shoot hoops with my teenagers and engage them on a personal level? When in reality, when that, teen, when that youth pastor turns 23, they're now out of touch relationally with those okay. 16-year-olds. Right. And we've actually set them up to fail when it comes to the relational end of things. Uh, my, my challenge is, do we want somebody to be buddies with our teenagers? Do we want somebody who can actually disciple our teenagers and pastor them? That's two very different things. Okay. Uh, now, as adults, we can be buddies with the adults that we lead. But we're not necessarily buddies with everybody. Right. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way with youth pastors and youth and, and youth either. And so we've got to expand our horizon a little bit and think a little more deeply when it comes to who we actually going to have teach and disciple and lead our youth. They're really at the most vulnerable vulnerable stage of their lives, but also with the great, greatest potential. They have the greatest potential right. at this stage of their lives to make choices going forward, right? So we need to find ways to, to maximize that. And rather than just putting Band-Aids on solutions, let's let's try to think a little more deeply and and um, and long term to make that happen more effectively. I think the other thing is too is I think a lot of pastors and, and leaders get kind of freaked out by this whole thing, thinking this is a insurmountable issue. Hemorrhaging faith, like you said, is kind of a you know that's a pretty serious um, um, way to frame this. Uh, but to me, it's it all change starts with simple or uh, simple steps. Okay. Uh, and so I do a, I do an assignment in my class of first year students where I ask them. At the end of the class, uh, what at the end of the course, I mean, what is one thing that you wish your church would have done when you were a teenager? And 60 to 70 percent across the board will say, I wish that when I was a teenager that there would have been adults there who cared about me and showed me they cared about me. Now, from a teenager's perspective, they could very easily say, nobody in my church cared about me. We know that's not true. Because I think that generally adults in churches care about their youth. Yes. But are we actually showing that to them and expressing that to them? I think that's that's where the disconnect has happened in a lot of ways. We do care, but we, we don't know how to show it. So, I mean, I would just suggest to pastors, why not start yourself by engaging with your teenagers in your church and your young adults? Um, re, if, I mean, if, if, you, if you think in the past they haven't been valued, then make sure that in your own mind you deal with the issue of value first. Do we value our children and youth the way that they need to be valued? Are they really meaningful members of the body of Christ, or are they just tag-alongs? Okay, so let's, let's just pause for a second, because yep. I want to come back to, to this idea. So just to, to summarize, you made a profound statement concerning those that are perhaps at one of the most vul- vulnerable stages of life, youth, because when you make decisions as a teenager, the trajectory of that takes you in an incredible direction for the rest of your life, right? Mm-hmm. When you're 90 years old, make a decision, yeah. uh, not too much uh, influence perhaps right. for the rest of your life, but you're making yeah. large decisions, and yet we sometimes 
think it's all right to just say, well, the, the, those that have, are close in age, relationally, they can, uh, with the least training, let's say the most inexperienced, not that they're uncaring, but the least experienced, we're satisfied with that. You're saying we cannot be satisfied with that. There has to be a bigger picture there. I think that's a, a profound point that you're making there. So um, I, I cut you off there. You were talking about, uh, you talked about at least a couple of strategies. You were about to mention about involvement of youth and doing that as a way of showing our love and, our, and explain a little bit more about that. Okay. Well, the tendency of, of uh, ministry leaders to involve youth in your church life tends to be, let's get them to run sound or run PowerPoint in the background. Um, Kara Powell from the Fuller Institute actually developed this analogy of the kids' table versus the adult table. That when we were when we were kids, and maybe it still happens in our families, large families in particular, you get together for a Christmas dinner, for example, and there wasn't enough room at the adult table, so we'd we'd create a children's table, and the children's table would be separate. Maybe wouldn't be as wouldn't have the china on it. Would be a little bit less in terms of its appearance. And using that analogy and, and putting that putting that up against what we do in in church life and, and church organization, we tend to have to do the same thing. We tend to think that the adults are the most important people; they're the feature of our church, okay. and our youth and our children are kind of sitting off at a kid's table. And I think what she's suggesting is that we actually then we physically, literally bring the children and youth to the adult table and say, "Listen, they may not be as experienced; they may not be as mature as the adults in our." In our uh, at the table, although there's some adults that may not sure. actually measure up to the maturity right. there either. Yeah. But um, generally speaking, but do we value them as much? Do we still value every child and every youth? Because I think Jesus showed us that and showed the disciples in a very dramatic way that we were not to look down upon yes. children and youth and yeah, devalue definitely. them, right? Because there, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He said, right? So. Uh, he said, um, so we need to take that example that Jesus gave us, and we need to make sure that we're not devaluing them. Devaluing them. So in terms of involvement in the church, are we actually giving them opportunities that have value? Or are they just those things that we can't get anybody else to do, or they're behind the scenes where they can't be seen? Okay, so aside from these token behind-the-scenes positions, and nothing wrong with those right. behind-the-scenes things either. I mean, we need people in every aspect of the church, but what... What you're, you're suggesting, I think, more visible, tangible ways that actually the youth children are involved. What yeah. might be some practical ways that we could do this? Everything from greeters to reading scripture on the platform as part of the pastor's sermon. Um, uh, giving a testimony as part of a pastor's message or the service. Uh, maybe multi-generational testimonies of three or four different age groups being shared. But don't cut out your children and youth. Um, what about serving communion, taking offering? Um, all those things that are visible where you require requires people to step it up a little bit and put themselves out there. Uh, children and youth are very capable of doing that too if they're given the challenge and you believe in them to actually do it and do it well and train them and, and mentor them to do that. So if the older generations in church would take seriously, again, the commands of, of God's word for the younger to influence, or sorry, the older generations to raise up the younger generations, right. if we would re-implement that back in church today, I think we'd see a huge difference, not only in... Uh, teenagers and youth becoming engaged in the church again. But I also believe, and from experience, have seen many people enter the church and make that their home church because they see the activity of children and youth in the church, that they, that they aren't devalued, they're not someplace hidden in another room. Not mean, that sounds harsh, but yep. but in reality, when people walk into our church, what are they seeing? Are they seeing an adult church where our children and youth are just being catered to somewhere else? Sure. Or are they actually integrated into the body? Okay. So uh, we've touched on a lot of big themes here, and, and we're, we're just about done because there's obviously uh, whole courses that fill up how, to, how do we resolve this, but mm -hmm. I just want to summarize. So we're looking at, uh, to some extent, a, a 
crisis of faith among young adults, uh, and our churches have not been sufficiently effective in helping this. Um, but we're not without hope. Uh, Jesus is raised from the dead. The Holy Spirit's here to help us out. And what you're suggesting, though, is a whole different philosophical mindset approach where rather than continuing to make departments, we can have some of that, but also we need to have a bigger picture in where everybody is part of this larger church family. And unless we do so, we may continue to, to propagate this, this uh, crisis of faith among our young adults. So, Eldon, if I'm a pastor who would like to find out, okay, look, at, uh, I'm hearing what you're saying. I'd like to look into this more. Are there any resources, let's say books or, um, you know, people they can contact that can help sort out some of this stuff on a, on a practical level? Well, some of the better things that have been written recently, I've already mentioned a couple of books, books but Hurt, uh, um, Hurt and Hurt 2.0 by Chap Clark, that's C-H-A-P, Clark. Um, Kara Powell has written um, um, a whole series called Sticky Faith, how are we actually going to make faith in childhood and youth be something that sticks throughout the rest of their lives? Uh, Dave Soller here in Canada from the East Coast in Cape Breton has written a number of books, uh, the first one being The Goodbye Generation, where he actually interviews young adults in Canada as to why they've left the church. And then he's written a few more books since then that uh, do start to um, identify some strategies, uh, strategies as to how to deal with that. And then the Hemorrhaging Faith Study, which was just done this last summer in 2013, uh, 2012, sorry, last summer. Um, dealing with uh, Canadian Canadian church situation, I think are all great resources to start with. Uh, one other book that I use in my two other books I use in my course actually that I recommend is uh, Family Based Youth Ministry by Mark DeVries. Really deals with the issues of discipleship, how are we discipling youth in the church today, and then Think Orange by Reggie Joyner, um, which really talks about how the family and church need to work more closely together in terms of of raising our children to to know and love God and to be part of church. Okay. I'd also say that uh, you know we at Masters here are very open to helping churches on an individual basis. If you would just you know need somebody to talk to, bounce some ideas off off of, I'm more than willing to take time on the phone or uh, through Skype or something to talk with you about, or even to come to your church for that matter to talk about how we could help you to look at your church maybe um, from another from another perspective and talk about the possibilities of you becoming more intergenerational in your approach. Um, and maybe I could just suggest to pastors, uh, we're recording this in, in May right now, and uh, you may not be listening to it at this time of year, but I'm thinking graduation's coming up. That's, a, that's a most, one of the most significant moments in a teenager's life, whether they're junior high, high school, or college, or university. Uh, do you and your church actually make any, any issue or a big deal of that at all? Uh, make sure you pay attention to the times, those significant times in teenagers' lives. We, you know, we celebrate the births of babies in young couples' homes. Yep. We celebrate marriages. We celebrate um, uh, people's lives when they pass away, their funerals and baptism and all those things. But what about the significant things that are happening in those those ages that we're not? Right. We've grown past those stages. We don't tend to think about it, but yep. intentionally think about graduation. Make that a big deal. Give gifts to your grads. Have them on the on the stage of your church, the platform of your church, to celebrate them, applaud them for their accomplishments, encourage them as they go forward. Do little things like that. When they go away to youth convention or retreat, make sure you mention when they come back that you missed them last Sunday. Make sure you're, you're addressing them from time to time. In your sermons, why not make an application to your adults, but then stop for a second, make an application to children and youth who are in the, in the service. Right. And if, you do, if you're not quite sure how to do that, why not talk to your 
your youth leaders and youth pastor and ask them, how can I make this app applicable to my teenagers? Uh, again, you know, making this a little more intergenerational right. than just one and, track. Inviting all the staff to be to be part yeah. of that conversation. Absolutely. Um, your email address is eldon.wright, W-R-I-G-H-T, at mcs.edu. That would be one way of getting in contact with you. And, uh, Eldon, I want to thank you so much for uh, sharing with us today and being available for this. And uh, so this is an encouragement to us. We realize the challenges, but um, really appreciate you taking the time to be with us. My pleasure. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of MCS Pentecasts, podcasts produced by Master's College and Seminary. MCS Pentecasts are available online at mcs.edu and also through iTunes Podcasts. Master's College and Seminary offers biblical, theological, and practical courses from a Pentecostal perspective at both undergrad and graduate levels. For more information on graduate courses offered through Master's Pentecostal Seminary in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, visit mpseminary.com. For undergrad courses at Master's Pentecostal Bible College in Peterborough, Canada, please visit mcs.edu.